0: Lesson number 50, surah Ali Imran, ayah 144 to 155. The verses that inshallah we're going to study today are a continuation of the commentary on the events that happened at the battle of Uhud. You know that the battle of Uhud, it was fought soon after the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, very soon after the battle of Badr. And we know that at the beginning the Muslims were victorious. And soon, their victory turned into defeat. And this is understandable, that if you have something and then you lose it, or if you were winning and then you lose all of a sudden. You were doing really good throughout the year, but when the test came, you did so bad, you failed. It is something that shakes you. It is something that disturbs you. And you have to reflect on what went wrong, so that you can fix the mistakes. So the believer, when he suffers a difficulty, he doesn't just get sad and upset and move on. No. He goes back, he reflects, learns lessons, and then moves on. So for a believer, every incident, every failure, every victory, every success is what? Something to derive lessons from. Which is why it is beneficial for him. So at the battle of Uhud, what happened? The Prophet ﷺ had instructed certain companions to stay on their posts and not move at all. Why? Because they were basically guarding the Muslim army from behind. But when they saw that the mushrikeen were fleeing the battlefield, they thought that they were victorious. And what happened then? They left their spots, their positions, and they went in order to join the rest of the Muslims in the field to celebrate the victory, to get a hold of the war booty. And what was the instruction that the Prophet ﷺ gave them? That do not move at all until I allow you, until I tell you. So this was a major mistake on their part. And then what happened? When Khalid bin Walid, he was a mushrik at that point, when he saw that that area was free, meaning that the Muslims were unprotected, he gathered up his people and they attacked the Muslims. Now when they attacked the Muslims, first of all the attack was a huge surprise for them. So they weren't ready for it. They weren't mentally prepared for it. Which is why many Muslims, they were immediately killed. Why? Because when you're not ready, you don't even have your weapon on your hand, you were not expecting something, then what happens? You can't defend yourself. You cannot attack. So like this, all of a sudden, mushrikeen came with great force, killing the Muslims, and they were making their way basically through the Muslim army towards the back, because that is where the Prophet ﷺ was. So imagine the Muslim army, and they are basically fighting them, fighting them, killing them, putting them down in order to get to the Prophet ﷺ. And many great sahaba, including the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Hamza عنه, even he was killed at this time. And many other companions were killed. Almost 70 companions were killed. So what happened was, that at this point, when the mushrikeen were coming in, some Muslims were being killed, other Muslims, when they saw what was happening, they fled, they ran away. Now you might say, how could they do that? Well, put yourself in that position. If you see someone coming for your life and you're not ready, what would you do? Run, escape, right? And this was right at the beginning, meaning it was only the second battle that the Muslims were fighting, so they did not know all of the rules of battle at that time. So they said, you know what? Defend yourself, run away. So many of them ran away. And as they were running away, the Prophet was calling, Ilayya يَا عِبَادُ I am here, O servants of Allah, come back. Where are you going? So he was trying to reorganize them. But what was happening? The Muslims were running away in order to save their lives. So what happened, that the Prophet was left with only about, you can say, 20 people around him. And there the mushrikeen are coming in order to get to him. And all those Muslims, one by one, they were falling. Because as someone would attack the Prophet ﷺ, a believer would come in the way in order to protect the Prophet ﷺ, in order to defend him. So one by one, literally, the Muslims were falling. And amongst them were not just men, but also some women. You know, there were female companions who came along the Muslim army, not to participate in the battle, per se, but to help the wounded to give water to the thirsty. This is why they had come. So one of the women, she was Umm Ammara. She had also come. And Umar anhum, he said that the Prophet ﷺ told him that in the battle of Uhud, wherever he turned, whether to the right or to the left, he saw Umm Ammara fighting to defend him. Because there were mushrikeen attacking from all sides. The Prophet ﷺ looked this way, Umm would be here. He would look the other way, Umm would be there. Can you imagine how courageous that woman must have been? And later on in her life, a woman saw a deep wound on her shoulder. A deep wound on her shoulder. And when she asked that, what happened? You know, if you see a huge wound on someone, you would inquire that, how did you get this? So when she was asked, she said that, Ibn Qubayyah attacked me on the day of Uhud. And this person, Ibn Qubay'ah, what he did was that he came running right to where the Prophet ﷺ was, and he asked, where is Muhammad ﷺ? Because he just wanted to attack him. I'll read to you the incident from this book, which is Muhammad ﷺ, his life based on the earlier sources by Martin Lings. He says, The enemy gradually began to gain the ground they had lost. In the little group around the Prophet ﷺ, the supply of arrows would soon be finished. And in any case, it seemed that the time for archery was running out. If the enemy continued to advance, every sword would soon have to be unsheathed for a final hand-to-hand conflict with an average of four pagans against every believer. Because remember, many Muslims had run away and many had died until now. Then suddenly, a single horseman came in from the side and made straight for where the Prophet was standing. Where is Muhammad? He shouted. May I not survive if he survives? It was Ibn Qamira, a man of one of the outskirt clans of Quraysh who had already made such slaughter among the Muslims. With a quick glance at the group, his sharp eye recognized his intended victim. And urging on his horse, he brought down his sword in a blow, which he was sure no helmet could resist. But Talha, رَضِيَ Anhu, who was standing next to the Prophet ﷺ threw himself in the direction of the sword and was somehow able to deflect the blow a little at the expense of losing the use of the fingers of one of his hands for the rest of his life. The blade narrowly missed the crown of the Prophet ﷺ's helmet and glanced off the side of it grazing his temple, driving two of the helmet rings into his cheek. So imagine... Two of the helmet rings got into his cheek and finally with its force somewhat spent striking his doubly mailed shoulder. The shock against the side of his head momentarily stunned him and he fell to the ground. Whereupon his assailant withdrew as quickly as he had come. And a voice, perhaps that of Ibn Qamira himself, was heard to shout, Muhammad is slain. When he saw the Prophet ﷺ fell, Ibn Qamir or someone else, they shouted out, Muhammad is dead, he has been killed. And the cry was taken up all over the field, interspersed with glorifications of Al-Uzza and Hubal. So the mushrikeen when they heard, they started glorifying their idols. Because they thought they were victorious, because they had eventually killed the Prophet The cliffs of Uhud resounded, and the Muslims who had fled were overcome with self-reproach and sorrow, while many of those who were still fighting in the plain lost heart and withdrew from the strife as best they might. So those who were already in the mountains taking refuge, they felt so guilty. They were overcome with sorrow. And those who were still in the battlefield, they wanted to give up. They said, what's the point of fighting now? But there were many exceptions, and one of these was Anas, the son of Nadr, Anas radiallahu anhu. Anas came upon two of his fellows for whom life seemed to have lost its meaning. Because imagine hearing the news, the Prophet ﷺ has been killed. So two sahaba, they were just sitting, and it seemed as though life had lost all its meaning. And who could bring themselves neither to continue fighting, nor to climb the ascent to safety. They didn't want to fight. They said, there's no point in taking refuge. Forget it. So he asked, why do you sit here? The messenger of Allah has been slain, they said. Then what will you do with life after him? Meaning, he said that, okay, if he has been killed, then what are you going to do with life after him? Said Anas, rise and die, just as he did. Get up and fight, and if you die, better for you. Just don't sit here doing nothing. And then, he set off for where the fight was, the thickest. But soon after, the Prophet ﷺ got up, and the mushrikeen, by that time, they had already left the battlefield. Because they figured there was no point in fighting the rest of the Muslims, because they had basically achieved their main target, and the rest of the people live and let leave them. So the mushrikeen, basically, they gathered up, and they left the battlefield. And the Prophet ﷺ, he got up, and what happened? That he ascended the mountain with the rest of the companions, and when the companions who were up on the mountain taking refuge, when they saw the Prophet ﷺ coming, they were overcome with joy. Now imagine the sorrow, the grief that they must have felt up to this point. Okay, the guilt, the regret. When they saw the Prophet ﷺ alive, everything was fine all of a sudden. You see the benefit. Doesn't it happen with you? That when you're going through huge problems, all of a sudden one thing goes right and you forget every problem. You forget every failure. So the Muslims were relieved. They were very happy. The Prophet went to refuge on the Mount Uhud. The rest of the Muslims also came there. There was a conversation that took place between the mushrikeen and the Muslims, which inshallah we'll talk about later. But what happened that the Muslims, they actually rested. They actually slept for some time. They took a nap. And this was a means of alleviating their fear and also they were re energized and then they dealt with the aftermath of the battle. So let's look at these verses. Arudbillahimulajim Rahim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, wa ma Illa Rasul." And Muhammad sallallahu is not but a messenger. Muhammad. Sallallahu Who was he? Ibn Abdullah, Ibn Abdul Muttalib, Al-Qurashi, al Hashimi, khatam al-Anbiya, the seal of the prophets. Muhammad was his name, and what does it mean? The one who is praised. Who is he praised by? By people, by the angels, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. He is praised by those who believe in him, and also those who reject him. Why? Because of his praiseworthy characteristics. So Muhammad sallallahu wasallam Allah says, he is not illa rasul except a messenger. And a messenger is who? A human being. A messenger is who? A human being. Because Allah always sent what kind of messengers? Human messengers. قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ rusul <الرَّسُول> Messengers have passed before him. Meaning many messengers came before him. They lived the course of their respective lives and eventually they left, they died. They passed away a natural death or they were assassinated, they were killed. Like the Bani Israel, they killed many prophets of Allah, didn't they? We have learned about this earlier. So the messengers before they came, they lived their respective lives and at the end they passed away. So, what does this mean? That Muhammad also is a messenger, and when he has completed the course of his life, what will happen? He too will die. He too passed away, just like the previous messengers did. But Allah asks us a question: Afa im A did, does, if, fa then, in if, afa in. If then, mata, he died, meaning the Prophet, if he were to die, au or he was to be killed. What's the difference between Maut and Qatl? Maut is when a person dies, you can say a natural death, without the cause of another human being, meaning no human being caused his death. Okay, a natural death. And what's Qatl? When a human being causes his death. So, for example, a person kills another. That is what? Qatl. So, if he dies a natural death or he is killed, would you turn back on your heels? Meaning, would you leave Islam and go back to the ways of jahiliya? Would you leave your mission and give up? Do you worship Muhammad ﷺ or do you worship Allah? This is the question over here. If you worship Allah, then you have to worship Him whether someone is alive or dead. Whether someone is here or is gone. And if you worship Muhammad then what will happen? You will only be righteous until he is alive. And when he is gone, then you would give up. Why was this ayah revealed? Like I mentioned to you earlier, when it was rumored that the Prophet has been assassinated, many Muslims lost courage. They gave up. They said there is no point in going on. There is no point in the life that we are living. They gave up. And it happens with people sometimes that the death of one member of the family, a spouse, a child, a parent, a cousin, a relative, a good friend, the death of one person is such a blow to some people that they think there is no meaning left to life anymore. But Allah asks us that, look, he was a human being. He was meant to die anyway. Just because he has died, does it mean that you leave your deen? Does it mean that you leave your obligations, your duty to Allah? No, Allah is still alive. Allah is still Al-Hay. He is ever living. He does not die. So yes, we do suffer from many losses in life, but that does not mean there is no meaning left to life anymore. No, life is still meaningful. Life is still purposeful. You will be sad. But remember, you are still a servant of Allah. You are hurt. But remember, there are other things in life that Allah has given you too. I'm not saying that the problem is not that big, that the loss is not big. It is great. We accept it. We acknowledge that. But at the same time, we must not forget other things that Allah has blessed us with. أَفَإِمَّا إِنْ قَلَبْتُمْ عَلَىٰ Will you turn to unbelief? Will you leave Islam? Now the death of the Prophet ﷺ was certainly a great blow for the Muslims. Why? Because who was he? He was after all, Muhammad ﷺ, the Prophet of Allah, someone who was very, very beloved to them. And the death of a person who is beloved to you is a great loss anyway. And the death of the Prophet ﷺ for the Sahaba was very great. So hearing this news caused them great grief and sorrow. And secondly, Muhammad ﷺ was who? He was their leader. He was their leader. When the leader is gone, when the main person is gone, the anchor is gone, then what happens? Everyone seems to lose their morale. Correct? Everyone seems to lose their courage. They say, what's the point? What's the point in going on? There's no point. There's no meaning left to life anymore. But Allah reprimands the believers. That just because he has died Or he has been killed It does not mean that you turn away On your heels And notice the word اِنْقَلَبْتُمْ عَلَىٰ أَعْقَابِكُمْ اِنْقَلَبْتُمْ is from lam And اعْقَاب is the plural of عَقِب عَقِب is heel The end of the foot And just imagine turning back on the foot And walking away in that manner Is that a normal way of walking? On your heels? Is this a normal way of walking? If a person is walking on their heels, can they maintain balance? Not at all. They can fall any time. Likewise, the one who turns back from the religion, turns his back to Allah, then he cannot maintain balance, meaning he is not upon the truth anymore. He is upon falsehood, and sooner or later he is going to meet his destruction. اِنْقَلَبْتُمْ ala arqabikum, This is a question that Allah is asking us. And this is a reprimand. Would you turn back? No, you must not turn back. You are not allowed to. You have to remain firm on the religion. Because remember that the risala, the prophethood of a messenger of Allah is not just until his death. Meaning you are not just obligated to believe in a messenger and follow him until he dies. No, you are to believe in him and follow him even after his death. Until when? Until when are you to follow him? Until the next messenger comes. Okay? Until the next messenger comes, you are still supposed to follow the previous messenger, follow his footsteps, obey him, obey his commandments, be in his path. But after Muhammad ﷺ, which messenger is coming? No messenger is coming. So what does it mean then? That he is to be followed until the Day of Judgment. This is why Allah reprimands us. That inqalakdum ala aqabikum you must not do that. Wa man ala aqibayhi. Allah warns us that whoever turns back on his heels, شيئا, Then such a person cannot harm Allah anything at all. Notice the word shay'an. What does it mean? Anything. And then on top of that, you see two fathatain on it. What does that mean? Anything. It's nakira. Nothing at all. A person who turns back on his heels, leaves the religion, gives up hope in Allah, does not have any purpose, meaning left in life just because someone has died, then such a person is not causing any harm to Allah. Who is he harming? Himself. He is only harming himself. وَسَيَجُزِ اللَّهُ And soon, definitely, Allah will reward who? Those people who are grateful. Notice the word here, grateful. Who is a grateful person? The one who remembers the blessings and the one who uses the blessings. What happens is that when we lose something, when we lose something that we like, that we love, that we want really bad, whether it's a human being, an object, then yes, we become sad. And shaitan, he makes us focus on that loss so much that we forget to look at other blessings. Isn't that so? We forget to notice other blessings. Which is why we become depressed and we say, what's the point? Forget it. I don't like to do this anymore. There's no fun left in life. I can't enjoy life anymore. My life is over for me. There's no point in living. I'm just waiting for my death. Then we say such things. People go to the point of committing suicide even. Right? Why? Because there is nothing that they are grateful for. There is nothing that they are grateful for. A shakir person is who? Who looks at the blessings when he suffers from a loss. And because of the realization that I have so many blessings, what happens? He has the courage to continue. You know, we see that it happens sometimes with people. May Allah protect all of us and definitely the loss that people suffer is great. But sometimes it happens. That a person loses a child, a person loses a spouse, a person loses a sibling, a parent. And it's as though they can never ever get over it. I'm not denying that loss is great, it is great. But why should a person not get over it? Why should not a person be grateful for the other blessings that Allah has given to them? That okay, if the spouse is gone, be grateful for the beautiful, lovely children that you have. And focus on them. Give attention to them. Fulfill your duty towards them. If a parent is gone, be grateful for the other parent who is still alive. Be grateful for the spouse that Allah has given you. Be grateful for the many friends that Allah has given you, for the strong community that Allah has given you. So Allah does not deprive any person completely, it does not happen. No, if Allah takes away a blessing, He has replaced that with other blessings. Always remember that. If Allah has taken away one blessing from me, He has given me many others to be grateful for. Many others. And those who have this kind of attitude, they are shakirin, they are grateful, they stay positive. And such people, Allah says, وَسَيَجْزِ Allah will soon reward them. Notice the letter seen, it gives a meaning of soon. Definitely in the near future, Allah will reward them for their gratitude. Because giving up at such a loss is great ingratitude towards Allah subhanahu ta'ala. It's like being upset with Allah. That you took my blessing away from me, I'm not gonna do anything for you now. And there are people who do this, who if they suffer a huge loss, they say, I don't pray anymore. Why did my father die like that? I'm not gonna bother, you know, praying anymore, fasting anymore. I don't like to read Quran. I don't like to wear hijab. Why did this have to happen to my family? Why did Allah allow this to happen? We feel like this sometimes. But is this the correct attitude? It's not. We will learn, inshallah, that everything that happens, happens by the permission of Allah. He has allowed it. And the one who knows Allah, the one who recognizes Allah, the one who knows Allah by his names and attributes, then what happens? He accepts the decisions of Allah. And he is grateful, notice the word shakirin, he is grateful for the many other blessings that Allah has given to him. Many blessings that Allah has given to him. So in this ayah, what do we learn? First of all, we learn very clearly that Muhammad was a human being, and therefore, he was afflicted by the same things that other human beings are afflicted by. He suffered from the same things that the previous prophets suffered. And part of that is also death. If the previous messengers died, then he too was going to die one day. Secondly, we also learn about the evidence that the Prophet was the last and final messenger. Because Allah does not say that qad khalat min qablihi rusul and more messengers will come after him. No. What has been said? That messengers came before him. No messengers will come after him. So he was the final messenger. And the ayah also shows that the Prophet he was going to die, and he did die. And the possibility of him being killed, and according to some scholars, the Prophet was also killed in a way, because yes, he died on his deathbed, but what happened was, at one of the battles, a Jewish woman, fed the Prophet ﷺ poisoned meat. And that poison caused one of the companions to die because he had actually swallowed a morsel but the Prophet ﷺ did not swallow it but the effects of it did remain in his body which is why his death, according to certain scholars, was also very painful. So the possibility of him being killed. okay, Of his death, of him being killed. Because unfortunately this belief exists among Muslims that the Prophet was not dead, rather he is alive. And this belief, when you look at the verses of the Qur'an, does this belief make any sense? It does not. Why? Because Allah Himself says, أَفَإِمَّاتَ أَوْ qutila And it did happen that he died. He died. He passed away, which is why he was buried. I'm sorry, but if someone is alive, you don't put him under the ground for God's sake. You don't do that. If someone is alive, then he stays on the surface of the earth. What does it mean by his life then? The life, remember there are two kinds of lives. One life is that in the dunya, duniwiya. The other kind of life is barzakhia, in the barzakh. Which is life after death, okay? But from the moment that a person leaves the world until the day of judgment comes. Alright? We learned about the martyrs. That Allah says, don't say that they are dead, bal Ahya, Rather they are alive. What kind of life are they living? The life is that of barzakh. Meaning, over there also they enjoy, they experience. Okay, Death does not mean that they're just turned off. No, they're enjoying, they're experiencing. عند <inaudible> رَبِّهِمْ So if for the martyrs there's so much reward in the barzakh, then it's only understandable that for the prophets of Allah, there is more reward. And all of the reports that mentioned to us that if someone sends blessings and greetings to the Prophet ﷺ, that they are delivered to him. Yes, but that's not because he can hear himself. That is because they are delivered to him in the barzakh. Alright? This is just like the companions who passed away. Okay, the martyrs. We learned about them that فَرِحِينَ فَرِحِينَ They rejoice. And part of their rejoicing is when they're given the good news of the people who are still in the world that they are upon righteousness. So likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala delivers good news to the Prophet as well. And He delivers good news to the martyrs as well. But this does not mean that they can come to this world. Okay? Someone who goes away from this life does not come back. So if we are singing songs of praise for the Prophet Wasallam, it doesn't mean that He will come. And we need to stand up and pay our respects to Him. No, He will not come. He is in the barzakh. And the barzakh is not this dunya. It is not this world. Then we also learn in this ayah about the fact that the death of the messenger does not mean the death of the deen, the death of his mission. Just because an individual is gone, it does not mean that you stop your work, that you leave your work. Some people, they do something just because of others. And what happens? What's the evidence of that? That if that person is present, then they will do the work. But if that person is gone, then they will not do anything. Like for example, if the mother is home, yeah, I'm doing the laundry, I'm doing the dishes, I'm doing the vacuum, you know, I'm such a good daughter. And as soon as the mother is gone for a week to see her brother, you know, the dishes are piling up in the sink, they're sitting there for three days, the food is rotting in the refrigerator, who cares, mom's not there. The laundry bins are full. The dryer is full of clothes. The machine is full of clothes. Who's going to bother switching the loads? Mom's not there. The garbage is not done. Who cares? Mom's not there. But as soon as mom's coming, then run and get everything done. Is this the correct attitude? Not at all. Is this a good work ethic? Not at all. We work, we do something, because we have committed that we are going to do it. Not because other people are around Because we are not here to impress people. We are here to do something to please Allah. Alright? So those who whose mission is to please people, then they just do the work as long as people are around. And when the people are gone, then they don't do it. Now we have to ask ourselves, when do we read Quran? When do we pray? When everybody is praying. When mom's there, when my sisters are there, then I pray. And if they're not there, who's going to bother? When we do something, we do it for who? Allah. And Allah is al-hay. He is always there. He is always alive. He does not go away. Then we also learn in the ayah that شكر for the deen is to remain firm upon it regardless of what happens. When a person is grateful for the blessing of the deen, then what will he do? He will remain firm on the deen no matter what happens. And we see that the companions... Even when the Prophet passed away, how firm did they remain on the deen? Very firm. Very firm. They continued on this path, which is why we have Islam today. So, this means that they were truly grateful for the blessing of the deen. So, if we are grateful for the blessing of the deen, then we have to remain firm upon it as well, whether it is easy or difficult. Whether we are going through a good condition in life or very difficult circumstances Allah says wama kana it is not possible for any nafs what does nafs mean soul whether of a human being a jinn an animal wama kana it is not possible for any nafs for any soul antamuta that it dies except by the permission of Allah Meaning, if a person dies, then he has died. Why? Because Allah has allowed. Because Allah has decided. So, are there any accidental deaths then? No. There is nothing such as an accidental death. There is nothing such as a sudden death. Why? Because... Allah says kitaban muajjala the death is what kitaban a decree it doesn't mean book rather it means decree something that is written meaning something that is decreed and fixed muajjala in time muajjal from the root letters hamza jim lam ajjal is time a fixed point in time muajjal is something that is fixed in time meaning something whose time is fixed it is scheduled so no soul dies unless Allah allows, unless Allah has decided. And that decision, when was it made? It was made from long ago. And that time of death is also fixed. It is scheduled. So when that time arrives, then what will happen? The person will die. The death will come. It will not be deferred. It will not be delayed. Nor can it be advanced. Kitabah muajjala And when is the death of every person fixed? When he's 20 years old? Yeah? When they get married? When they graduate from school? No. When is their death fixed? Before they were born in the womb of the mother. In the womb of the mother. In a hadith we learn that when the child is developing in the womb of the mother, 40 days or so, an angel asks Allah, that what should I write? Meaning what should be written for this individual. How long is he going to live? What kind of actions is he going to perform? Meaning is he going to Jannah or hellfire? What is going to be his final destination? So part of the things that are decreed are what? His death. Fixed in the womb. Before we even come to this world, our date of expiry is written. Just like before any product makes it out of the factory, the date of expiration is written. It is fixed. So no death is accidental. So if the Prophet even died, at this instance, at the Battle of Uhud, yes, he did not pass away. But Allah says, even if he were to die, then why did you give up? If he died at that time, he was meant to die at that time. It was decided that he was to die at that time. But he did not. وَمَا كَانَ لِنَفْسٍ أَنْ تَمُوتَ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ كِتَابًا مُؤَجَّلًا In Surah Al-Munafiquun, Ayah 11, Allah says, وَلَنْ يُؤَخِرَ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِذَا جَاءَ أَجَلُهَا That when the time of a person comes, then Allah does not defer. وَمَنْ يُرِدْ سَوَّابَ الدُّنْيَا And whoever wants the reward of this world. Whoever wants reward in this world for the efforts that he is making. Meaning, whatever he does, he wants to see the fruits here. Thawab dunya. He wants thawab in the dunya. Allah says, نُؤْتِهِ مِنْهَا We will give him of it. Notice, it hasn't been said we will give him all of it. But rather, we will give him of it, meaning some of it. If a person's goal, his intention of his striving, of his work, is that he should see the results now, in this present life, he wants immediate gratification then Allah says we will give him some of it. How much? Only as much as Allah wants. Because people desire many things. But do they get everything they want? Just the other day I was trying to explain to my son that you cannot have everything in this world. Right? I want this, I want that, I want this. Like you can't have everything in the world. So he keeps reminding me, Mama, I can't have everything in the world? I said, no, you can't have everything in the world. We can only have some. We can only have a little bit. How much is that? Only as much as Allah has decreed for us. So people desire many things, but are they able to obtain everything? No. How much do they get? Only what Allah has decreed for them. So Nu'ti minha. Wamain Yurid and whoever desires Sawab al Akhira, the reward of the hereafter. That's his goal. Nu'tihim minha, then we will give him of it. Because the Akhirah also a person cannot have all of it. Because Jannah is what? Darajat. Can a person have all the Darajat of Jannah? A person says that Allah, I want all, the entire Jannah. Even the Jannah that you give to this person and that person, this person, I want all of it for me. Can a person have that? No. You can only get some of Jannah, right? And even that is huge. Even that is great. So, nu'tihi minha. In the Quran, Allah says, وَلِكُلِّنْ Darajatun مِمَا عَمِلُوا each person will have degrees according to what they have done. Your Lord is not unaware of what they do. Likewise in the Qur'an, Allah says in Surah Al-Isra, ayah number 18 and 19, that مَنْ كَانَ يُرِيدُ الْعَاجِلَةُ عَجَّلْنَا لَهُ فِيهَا مَا نَشَاءُ لِمَن Whoever should desire the immediate, meaning the immediate reward in the world, then we hasten for him from it what we will to whom we intend. Meaning everyone does not see the results in this world. Okay? No matter how badly they want them. Because there are people who strive, but yet they don't get anything of this world. Okay? So it's only as much as Allah wants and for whom He wants. But the one who wants the dunya, will he have any share in the hereafter? No. If a person's goal is the dunya, he wants to see everything here. He wants to enjoy here. The world is what he cares about. That is his priority, that is his goal, then there's no share for him in the hereafter, which is why in the verse in Surah Al Isra Allah says, Summa lahu jahannam, then we have made for him hellfire. Yaslaha madmuma madhura, where he will burn, censured, and banished. Now why is this being mentioned over here? That whoever wants dunya then he will have some of it, and whoever wants the akhirah, then he can have that. Why is this being mentioned? Because when a person loses something of this world. Okay? And that is such a great blow for him that he feels there is no meaning left in life anymore. Then what does that show? That the world was everything to him. Right? That thing that he lost, that person whom he lost, that object that he lost was everything to him. That meant everything to him. That was his goal. That was his priority. That was the focus of his life. Which is why if he doesn't have it, he gives up. A believer, his final goal is what? Jannah, the hereafter. Which is why even if he suffers the greatest loss in this world, does he give up? No, he doesn't. Because he still has time to earn his Akhirah. And he will use that time in earning the hereafter. Which is why we see that some companions... Even when it was rumored that the Prophet had died, they said, you know, what are you going to do with life after him? Then get up and do something. Get up and fight. And die just like he died. Why are you sitting here depressed? Get up and do something. Follow his footsteps. So for a believer, no loss is all loss. Okay? He The main focus is the Akhira, which is why no matter what suffering happens in this world, he still has a reason to move on. Which is why we see that the great scholars of the past, even when they were imprisoned, imprisoned, they still continued to learn and teach. You know, there were scholars who were imprisoned, not in jail cells, but rather in dry wells. Imagine a hole in the ground. It's like a ditch. And you're just trapped there. You can't come out. There's no rope. There's no ladder. Nothing. And somebody just comes and throws food to you. That's it. You live there. You sleep there. You pray there. Everything. And these scholars, this is how they lived, but they did not kill themselves. They did not commit suicide thinking, what's the point? They didn't just sit there counting their days. No. They made use of their time. There were scholars who were Arrested in their houses, meaning they weren't allowed to leave. They weren't allowed to come out of their houses by law. And their students, they would come in the form of beggars. okay, Dressed as beggars. That is, is, there anybody who could give me something? And they would just sit by the wall or something and the scholar would, you know, silently, quietly, in a very low voice, teach them in the night so that nobody could see. They continued on their mission, even if their freedom was snatched away from them. Even if their freedom was snatched away from them. So, the one whose focus is dunya, if he loses one thing of the dunya, then he gives up. But the one whose focus is the akhirah, he has a reason to strive until his last breath. And such a person, nu'tihi minha, then Allah will give him jannah. Allah will give him the hereafter. In Surah Al Isra, ayah 19, Allah says, "That whoever desires the hereafter and exerts the effort due to it while he is a believer, it is those whose effort is ever appreciated by Allah. Allah will appreciate their efforts. So, what do we learn in this ayah that the time of death of each person is fixed? Likewise, if there is a loss that we suffer, even that was fixed, even that was decided. That was also maktub, written, decreed by Allah. I remember reading in a book about an Englishman who had gone to the desert and he was with the Bedouins. I don't know what he was doing exactly, but he was there with them. And there were many things that he noticed, which he wrote about, he mentioned later on. One of the things that he mentioned was that how quickly the Arabs got over adversity. That life in the desert is not simple at all. You have one sandstorm and your animals are dead. Your food supply is gone. Okay. Your means of transportation is also gone. The houses that you had pitched, even they are gone. Okay. It means a great disaster. Just one sandstorm. And that means you have to move on from that area to somewhere else to find water so that your animals, they have food. So basically, one sandstorm can Literally destroy their lives. But what was their attitude? Maktub. This is maktub. this is written. It is decreed by Allah. So you know what? Get up and move on. Which is why every time they suffered, they would get up and move on. Get up and move on. But what happens with us? We have one cut on our finger. Can't do the dishes. Can't fold the laundry. Can't do my homework. Right? One cut on our finger. And we think it's such a huge disaster that we are rendered completely incapable. No matter what loss it is, accept it. Know that it is decreed. It was written from before. Allah allowed it. And move on. Let's listen to the recitation of these
1: verses. Effaith مات او قتلا قلبتم على اعقابكم ومن ينقلب على عقبيه فلن يضر الله شيئا وسيجزي الله الشاكرين so, what have we learnt in these verses? Asalaamu Alaikum. I was just remembering a few incidents. Like, I've lived a long time in the Middle East, and every time there was a death in the family, even if it was an accidental death of a parent, they would always say, Khadr Allah, and get over it. And we Asians who live there, some of my friends, they would say, They're so hard hearted, these Arabs. They don't even. Just three days they cried for the parent and that's it. And they're partying. Whereas I remember I grew up in India and when my mother died, for 40 days people would come to visit us. Um, my sister, she was very young. She was very attached to my mother because we just had one parent. And my sister would say, I hate these people coming to our house because they only come to make us cry. They remind me of all the things Mum used to do for us. I wish they wouldn't talk the way they did. Because we don't... Our philosophy in life is just, you know, we have to keep crying and remembering and reminding. We don't let go. That's the thing. Assalamu
0: We prolong the suffering. We prolong the grieving. And as a result, we just sit empty-handed. We're not able to concentrate. We're not able to focus. We're not able to do anything at all. Why has it been said that grieving should only be for three days, mourning only for three days? But after that, you have to focus on other things. It does not mean that you don't value that person who is gone anymore. No, they're gone. But Allah has given you time to do something yourself. And this prolonging the mourning, prolonging the grieving is only going to hurt you. You won't be able to do anything. You know, my mother, when she was extremely attached to her father, I haven't seen her you know, talking so as respectfully as she did, you know, in front of her father. She's very respectful before her teachers, before the elders, but the way she would respect her father, I, I haven't seen that kind of relationship at all. And the way every time she would talk about him, she would mention him, you know, so much love and so much respect. And when he passed away, I was young, but not that young, but so I could understand what was happening. But I remember that she had the dua for the deceased person. Okay in many places in the house, written down, so that every time she would think, remember him, she would make du'a. She would make dora for him regularly. And you know what? This is what will benefit the person who has gone, when you make dora for them. We think if we're sad, and if we're saying, you know, such a tragedy, such a loss, and we're just remembering them, talking about them, and we're saying, you know, I really miss them, I wonder what they would say if they were here, I wonder how she would feel if she was here. Like, yes, you do think about these thoughts, but this is not really helping the person who has gone. What is going to help them when we pray for them? When we, you know, do some good? So that will inshallah be sadaqa for that parent who has gone, for that relative who has gone. This is what is helpful. But shaitan makes us focus on something that we can't do anything about. We can't change the reality. Again, this is not undermining the loss. This is just dealing with it in the most effective way, in the best way, according to the guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. So much money is spent, so much time is spent in you know celebrating these days you know after 40 days of the death of a person or a year or something all these occasions so much money is spent which could actually be given in charity on their behalf so that they get some reward that the mourning is for one year nobody's getting married in that family because someone passed away but we think that if we are sad and upset then we are really respecting the people who have gone whereas in reality we're not so these verses basically teach us about, you can say, grief management, okay. managing loss, right? getting over difficulties. That if we have lost something, a person has died, then remember that this was the decision of Allah. And if Allah has allowed it, then can someone prevent? Not at all. Does Allah need to take your permission? Not at all.